Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt, and decorate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Make and Decorate with Stephanie podcast. This is season five, episode 95. Today, I have a returning guest, Heidi Parks. And so much has happened since she was first on my podcast back in 2019. So I asked Heidi if she would come back and chat with us about everything that has happened since our last conversation. She graciously accepted my invitation and we have a wonderful conversation and podcast for you guys. I'm really excited about this and Heidi is very generous with her knowledge and sharing it with all of us. Well, here we are back in the darkness again. We turned our clocks back an hour, which means the sun, I guess, comes up an hour earlier, and it certainly goes down an hour earlier, which uh, today is right around 4.30 in the afternoon. It is a quite a jarring transition, but uh, I'm doing a little better with that. I've, it's something that I've really been focused on uh, for the last several years after realizing that um, I definitely have the SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder. So uh, the things that I've done to help me with that is I've said, I, I know I've said this before, but I'll just mention it again quickly my countdown to winter solstice, because the day after that, we start gaining our daylight back. The other thing is to take advantage of all the daylight possible before it gets dark. Yeah. And the other thing is to take advantage of the darkness, which sounds weird. But when you make it cozy, and you do things like making a delicious hot chocolate, lighting candles, um, and just really soaking in this new, colder, darker uh, climate. And it also is uh, becoming festive with the holidays coming up. That helps too. And by embracing this darkness (laughs) that I never before not even last year would I say that I accepted the darkness. This is new. This is very new for me. And um, I don't know, what will you call that? Growth or a new way of living in denial? <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I am embracing it. And uh, it's only another month or month and a half until we start gaining a little bit of daylight back every day. I want to keep this chit chat segment relatively short. So I'm going to briefly tell you about the Arne and Carlos meet and greet that I went to on November 3rd. And um, I will definitely go into all the details on the Patreon bonus episode. The meet and greet 
was absolutely beyond my expectations. And I didn't know what to expect. It was amazing. I had never been to Wool and Company, which is a yarn store in South Elgin, Illinois, and it is huge. It it has to be at least 10,000 plus square feet. And it is like a double story, sort of a warehouse type building. Uh, but it the lighting they have in there is great. And they have utilized every inch of the walls going up to the ceiling. And they have these large image like sketches of different types of sheep from all around the world. And they tell like, you know, this is, these are sheep from um, Shetland or wherever. Uh, and it's beautiful. And these are painted on all of the walls going around the store um, in that upper space going up towards the ceiling in just like large scale. It's just beautiful. I'll put pictures in the show notes. My eyes must have gotten really big when I first stepped into the shop because it was just very um, beautiful and the it looked like a huge candy shop with all of the different colors of yarn everywhere aligning the walls. Uh, the event itself was great. They had catered uh, finger foods and beverages. Uh, the Rowan um, representative is traveling with Arne and Carlos. Uh, so I think they're sponsoring these events. And um, Arne and Carlos is promoting their new line of yarn. It's wool. It's 100% Norwegian wool. I just got some of it and it is really nice. It, I have never, um, you know, seen or tried Norwegian wool, but it's a very, it, it it's dense, but it's soft and it's got this little fuzzy halo to it, but um, the softness and um, easy to knit with and the colors, the colors are very nice. And it was just so nice to actually see Arne and Carlos in person I mean, it's so weird because when I see them every week on YouTube, their videos, and then I see them in person, it's surreal, but they look exactly the same. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. They were very kind, very into this event. I felt like their heart and soul was really into it, which is always nice to see. And... um they, they spent time with the book signing and uh, photos with people. Uh, so, and there were 175 people there. So it was a, a pretty good size event. But more of that in the bonus episode on Patreon. I have a little bit of housekeeping to address, and that is the winner of the George Mendoza Fat Quarter Bundle from Free Spirits. The winner uh, that was randomly chosen is Martha Landis, and I announced this um, a few episodes ago, and uh, I haven't heard anything. I have sent a message to the, this winner, and if I don't hear anything by the next episode, I I believe I am just going to need to reselect a random winner 
um, for this Fat Quarter Bundle to go to. So please, please get in touch with me, Martha, and I'd be happy to send out this Fat Quarter Bundle to you. All right, it's time for my conversation with Heidi Parks, a returning guest, and we are talking about all new things that um, Heidi has been working on since our previous conversation. They are all very exciting. She also gives us some tips about hand yoga to keep your hands um, healthy, I guess you could say, or injury free. And Heidi, I send you a huge thank you for coming on to my show again, and just for being so passionate about what you do, and for sharing it with everyone, and giving us a glimpse of what hand quilting is today, and how really accessible it is, uh, and how everyone can, can try it. Um, you know, it, what I love the most about how you hand quilt is that you do not need all of this equipment, like the big expensive wooden frames, um, the, you know, developing and practicing this rocking technique. Uh, so I just, I think that it is just a wonderful way to personalize a quilt with your own hand stitching and leave pretty much like an autograph with hand quilting. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Heidi. And also, we recorded this episode um, end very end of August. Heidi mentions an upcoming teaching trip to France, and she opened that up for signups, and it is completely sold out. It sold out right away. So I just wanted to mention that uh, because we talk about it, and unfortunately, it is all booked. But you can still sign up for her diary class that's going to start in January. Take a look at that if you're interested. We are going to have so much fun today. This episode is going to be not only an audio one, but also a video podcast. And I'm going to post it on my YouTube channel, Stephanie Socha Design. I don't know exactly when, but I will let you know when I do have it uploaded. And we're also going to have so much fun because I have a returning guest, Heidi Parks, who is a hand quilt artist, an educator, and a YouTuber. And I'm sure like tons of other things, but we'll start there. <laughs> Welcome back, Heidi. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful oh, to be here. I am so excited. I've been really looking forward to this for a while. So that is great. Um, and, you know, you were on early on in my podcast back in 2019. I started it in 2018. And since our lad podcast episode, your body of work has continued to grow and with like art exhibits and museums and shows and your hand quilted art for sale. You've um, done a lot of teaching uh, on, you added on demand workshops on your website um, and uh, teaching events, both domestic and international and QuiltCon teaching. So that's a lot. 
It is. Yeah. And this is my first time being a returning guest on a podcast. And I feel like we will be able to dig into so many more interesting things because there's a lot of basic background information Mm -hmm. that usually people ask about. And then sometimes it's the same story on a couple different podcast interviews because they didn't listen Mm -hmm. to all the episodes that I've ever been on. But sure. Yeah, yes. yeah. So there's there's a lot of really exciting new stuff to dig into. There is, and I can't wait to get to it. And um, the you know the listeners can always um, go back to my first episode, and then you can definitely hear Heidi's uh, story, which is um, a really good episode. In fact, I just reposted it actually <laughs> last <laughs> month, <laughs> so it'll be easy for them to find. Mm-hmm. All right. So okay, let's start with your hand quilted art. Okay. So you've got a bunch of different kinds. You've got small quilts, and I see these really pretty fabric vases, and also, of course, your larger quilts. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways that I have been making quilts. The first way that I was initially drawn to was a five-foot-by-five-foot quilt that would go uh, potentially either on a wall or in the living room. And it's much easier to put a five by five quilt on the wall than it is a queen or a king size. And also Mm -hmm. it's enough space to get an idea across and feel like I'm making something genuinely large. I used to do a lot of painting with acrylics and big at that time was three feet by three feet or three feet by four feet, because that's the maximum size that would fit in my sedan. (laughs) And if you go beyond (laughs) that as a painter, it becomes tremendously expensive and complicated. And I live Mm. in a duplex and there are certain corners in the hallway on the staircase going up that just cannot be accommodated for anything larger. So it felt really exciting to me to be so big at five feet by five feet, but also it keeps the work kind of affordable compared to being so much bigger and it allows it a little more flexibility. I also energetically liked the feeling of a living room quilt rather than a bedroom quilt. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of different connotations, different thoughts around its purpose. Um, you know, they're bedroom things, but then the couch things are more in the realm of snuggling or wrapping a quilt around you. And I don't really wrap myself up in the comforter on my bed. It's over me. And so just that that three-dimensionality of having something wrapped over your shoulders on the couch is a nice connotation that I like to have in the work. But then eventually I wanted to play with smaller quilts. And I started doing that in 2015 using a wooden frame and wrapping the quilt around it. And that felt like a mind blowing revelation that I could make something smaller, that it could feel kind of like a painting. The way that I do a border on them, you can see it if you're watching on video, Mm -hmm. the piece behind me even has a border, like a frame around it. So it's not this infinity wrap that I do, but it's a a strip of unquilted fabric that you can see visibly around the edge. And that got the price point to a much more accessible place. And it allowed me a little more freedom to experiment and try new things. I was in some ways in a little bit of a creative rut where there were some things I would do and some things I wouldn't do. And by working small, I was able to confront some of those limiting beliefs around what my work could look like. Mm -hmm. And I started to play with 
hand piecing instead of machine piecing. I started to play with lines of quilting overlapping one another, which really like was more scary to me than having an exposed knot or something, which I think isn't the way a typical quilter would <laughs> rank their fear factor. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. Things. So that was a very exciting development. And then in 2000. 20 through 21, I did an artist residency called the Art Servancy here in Milwaukee. And I made a commitment to spend a lot of time at Lake Park, which is a beautiful Olmstead Park. Um, so made by the same designer who did Central Park in New York. I live here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we have this gorgeous park and I spent a lot of time there. And Art Servancy comes, of course, from the word conservancy and being environmentally friendly and ethically minded. And for me, part of that took shape in considering vases. I have a recycling bin where lots of glass bottles go. And I also have a lot of habits around the way that I make a quilt. And because generally they have this delicious wobbly edge, if you go to the gallery page on my website and you'll scroll down, you can see that none of them are perfectly square. They all have this nice little slant, but they're still mostly square-ish. And mm -hmm. because of the way that I make things like that, I need to cut my batting big enough that it can accommodate that wobble. And then I end up with some pretty significant long, skinny strips of extra batting. So every time I make a quilt, I end up with a 20 foot by three inch strip of batting. <laughs> I had been putting it in a bag in the closet in my storage room and that bag was starting to burst and I felt too bad about getting rid of it, but didn't want to make my Franken batting for a full mm -hmm. quilt by sewing those to each other. Three or two. <laughs> I mean, that just sounds like such a nightmare. So I then developed the idea that what if I wrapped that around a glass bottle from the recycling bin, created an interesting silhouette, and then used some of my scrap fabric to encase that to make a vase. I also, of course, was out in nature a lot. So I was thinking about flowers and just how beautiful it is to have a flower in my house or to relate to a vase. So the act of interacting with nature, bringing the outdoors in, in a vase was also probably extra at the front of my mind and interesting. And that's why it became vases instead of soft sculpture or some mm -hmm. other iteration of working that way. But now... There's definitely an arc of regular soft quilts and then quilts that are stretched on a wooden frame and then also the vases that have been a really exciting new development. Yeah, I love the vases idea. And um, I, I've always had this love for glass bottles anyway. And, you know, when they're really beautiful and pretty, <laughs> save them. I, I've used them for flower vases. Mm -hmm. and, and my most recent obsession last year had been collecting those wee yogurt jars. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. And last summer, they had this um, limited edition where there were flowers um, on it, instead of just the plain clear. But um so my husband's like, what are you going to do with those? What you? Well, he's using a lot of those right now for like some of his, um, 
you know, the screws and nuts or whatever you use oh, for yeah. household things. But I, they, they, that became such a phenomenon for that company that they then started making the lids to go on those. <laughs> so now, so now I have dried herbs in some of them. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. like to, to be able to reuse mm -hmm. things like that. I love it. It just gives me so much joy. And then when I see your fabric cover vases, I'm thinking that is so brilliant because it still remains functional because it's a glass container. You could put water huh. and a flower, flowers in it. And I mean, beautiful. Well, right? you it's can art. Still, yeah, you can still pop the glaze, the glass mm -hmm. out of the bottom as well. So if you want to wash it, or if you leave the flowers in too long and they get really nasty, yeah, yeah, you can just yeah. put a different bottle of the, the same brand inside. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so I it's nice it. that it's not permanently in there because then I think washing yeah. it would get really precarious with the True. fabric and the sink and dumping. Yeah. But it, yeah, they slide out real easily and they're very functional that way. Uh, just hearing you talk about it actually reminded me of... Edra Soto. She is a Chicago artist who I know because she works at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, which is where I went to school. And she had an art exhibit here in Milwaukee four or five years ago, probably five years ago. And her work is around walking around Chicago and she sees glass bottles out in the street, usually alcohol bottles. And they discarded and they're sitting around and yeah. they're cluttering up her neighborhood and she goes around with a bag and picks them all up and then scrubs the label off and then she photographs them like a Mirandi painting um, I don't remember his first name but very classic painter Mirandi who would paint bottles and use mm. these very lovely soft shades that are kind of pastelish and mm. just makes a, an elegant still life and she started to do that kind of still life with photography instead of painting with these found alcohol bottles. And it just says so much about modern life and walking around and a desire to make your neighborhood look better and mm -hmm. to, to be thoughtful about repurposing. And there's, there's just a lot of interesting richness, both in the very craft DIY, like I made a vase like that to put my pens in and now my pen holder is cuter. But there's also some really interesting high end fine art applications for it as well. And I, of course, love things that bridge that gap between fancy art and regular DIY creativity. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you just reminded me of something I did as a kid. We <laughs> we we made pencil cans from um, canned goods, like a can of green beans that was emptied and cleaned out. And we did put um, fabric around it, glued it on and trim. And it was like a beautiful uh, pencil can. Yes. And yeah, <laughs> so I, it's it's I guess it's not it's not a new concept, but I like your idea of bridging the fine art into it uh, because it could stand alone as mm -hmm. beautiful fine art. You've got all of your hand stitching in there and it, it we'll talk about this too um, later, but, uh, or we could talk about it now. <laughs> the, um, it, it, it is hand stitching, but it's not just about the hand stitching. It's about your, um, 
vision and your creativity and um, how you create this art, it's balanced. It, you know what I mean? Like when someone looks at a, a painting and, and they're, you're like, what is so great about this painting? And a lot of times it's the way the colors are put together. It's the way the light is shown or the shadows. So the same thing with the hand quilting and the textiles mm-hmm. that you use, right? Yeah, it's, it's because I teach a lot too. And so it can be very challenging to translate for students. What is that edge that makes it really beautiful instead of feeling perhaps cheesy or like something you've seen before? And there are several like principles that I often keep in mind and think about. And it's creating balance to me, having something that's real small contrasted with something larger is helpful. Uh, connecting to the elements and principles of art, noticing mm-hmm. that difference of pattern and solid that, right. uh, you know, but it, but it's one of those things that's very hard to put your finger on too. And it's the yeah. magic that creates like an texture style. Too. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> there's something I still can't define or explain that makes it a Heidi vase. Well, it's your that. innate, yeah. you know, you have an innate style and I can tell a Heidi yeah. piece of work, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think. Although, <laughs> although you've been teaching your classes, so I think more and more people are, are um, picking up your mm-hmm. style. And, and I think that's wonderful. I yeah. think that it's um, very, I love it that you share mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, fine art is, you know, a whole world in itself and just like with me an interior design can be very studi-toot and even um, back 10 15 years ago designers still they would never want to share any any secrets of how they do stuff or who they used upholstery wise or whatever and workrooms and I mean it was just so <laughs> closed yes. tight knit yeah no I'm not letting this go so I mean now more and more they're mm-hmm. sharing um, and artists too I feel like it's a similar thing because some yeah. fi- I've heard I have heard fine artists be snooty oh, yeah. and talk about stuff like that and even. Um, condescending toward textile. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think part of that is my, um, my origins with making art are around ceramics. I loved pottery. Uh, Right here over my shoulder is a little pink guinea pig that I made (gasps) out of clay when I was in the first grade. (laughs) First grade? Yeah, I was in first grade and I sculpted this little guinea pig. You know, we had a guinea pig cute. at home, so I had lots of life, real life experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and it grew from there. And my grandmother had an art degree and she loved pottery and had a kiln in her garage. Mm-hmm. And I would I would go out to Santa Fe, New Mexico and visit her when I was in elementary school and junior high. And I'd get to work with clay. And then in high school, I took pottery classes first and I learned how to throw on the wheel. And then through an artist inquiring at the high school, I became an assistant to a ceramic artist. And I ultimately worked for her for seven years. Her name's wow. Lori Polpeter Eskenazi. And she just taught me so much about clay and craftsmanship and making. And when I applied and had the courage to go to art school, it was partly because of her nudging me in that direction. 
And I began in ceramics and that has a very similar history to textiles of being both craft and fine art. And Mm. it's, it's kind of fun being a quilter because I can look just 20 years back and see Ceramic artists fighting that fight around, Mm. am I just a production potter making bowls or am I making fine art? And especially if I incorporate a pottery wheel, does that, or slip casting, does that immediately mean I'm like slip casting a toilet and not some kind of fancy (laughs) fine art thing? (laughs) Uh, And so having that as a model for integrating and creating a juxtaposition between fine art and craft is uh, just a helpful, I think, grounding thing for me. Yeah. That's something I was thinking yeah. about a lot back in college. Oh, good. Absolutely. And then, and just your generosity sharing it, I think, comes back to you, um, you know, tenfolds. So, Agreed. Um, Agreed. I love, I love that about you. I love getting to share about making art with other people and making quilts. Mm -hmm. And I find a big part of my role is in giving permission in Mm -hmm. reminding people that they can create their own design, that they don't have to work within the canon. It doesn't have to be a log cabin or corners matching or burying your knots the way a lot of other people did before that they're are exciting things yet to be discovered and what a quilt could look like and to encourage that even if you didn't go to like demystifying art school (laughs) is a huge, (laughs) huge part of what I do when I teach and encouraging people to have fun and to let them know that they can steer the ship a little more than perhaps a lot of quilters have felt that they had permission to do in the past. Yeah, and I don't know if art school had this as well, but when I went to interior design school um, in the first semester, we had to take a drawing class. And the instructor, um, you know, had to get us out of these constructs that we think about and we're so like, oh my gosh, I can't draw that. And he, I remember the assignment and he just said, just create something. It doesn't have to make, I don't want it to make sense. I want you to like find objects, find something and, and draw them and, you know, try to do it, it. It was more like, it wasn't about the composition as much per se as making yourself really reach for your creativity and lose your inhibition yeah. of drawing it. Yeah. And I, I was shocked at what I could do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was very similar for me. We had a first year program and we had a semester of drawing, which was called 2d art, a semester of 3d art, a semester mm. of 4D art, which incorporated the fourth dimension of time. So we had to learn about video art and sound art and performance art and installation wow. art. And then we also had a free choice semester for these unique topics. And I chose one called Many Hands, which is such an obvious Heidi Parks class. <laughs> but it was about collaborative art. And the idea of making something that's a little more generous or working with other people or Mm -hmm. inviting other people to participate and share, even though maybe they're not the ultimate maker, but gathering 
gathering data from other people and incorporating it in the work. And I felt by the end of that semester that I had completely lost my compass for color. I grew up and my mother dressed me in pastels in the spring and fall colors in the fall. And Mm. my grandmother was very against the color brown, so I could never wear brown clothes. And... And all of that fell away. And I remember feeling very confused about color and about how to even dress myself anymore. But also that freedom that I got that you also were describing was incredible for making me feel like like I just had many more options. My toolkit was so much bigger because I didn't have so many limiting beliefs, especially around color. Yeah, it, it was really astonishing to me when I experienced that. And um, I'm so glad they did it that way, because um, even if you're super creative, uh, doing something that you haven't done before or, or have not had formal education on, you know, you think that you're, you're not supposed to do it or you can't do it. So, you know, that really opened up like opening your eyes. It was, it was so cool. Yes. So, yeah. Well, okay. Um, I'm going to move on to your um, YouTube channel, but I want to, I kind of want to get an idea of how long does it take to complete your hand quilted art? So Mm -hmm. I know size matters. So like, you know, what, what about your one, like your little small ones versus how much time do you spend on like the one behind you on the wall? She's got a beautiful wall hanging quilt Mm -hmm. uh, behind her hand quilted. Yeah. This one, if you are listening online, you can look up on my (laughs) website. It's um, on the gallery page. It's called, but what was it like? And it's a piece that I layered things. So it's a, um, the backing fabric and then batting. And then I put lots of bits of fabric on top of the batting and pushed them around and nudged them. And then I put a single piece of silk organza on top and safety pin basted it and quilted everything down. And it is only the quilting that holds the content of the quilt together. There's no glue. There's no applique. There's, I don't know. I did a little bit of stitching underneath the organza just to be interesting, but not everywhere. So it's Mm -hmm. held in place with the quilting. And yeah, the, the, when I'm thinking about time, I'm also thinking about an arc for the pricing of my work. Mm -hmm. And I always want to be prepared to exhibit in an art gallery. So I have to have my retail pricing and wholesale pricing so that the gallery might take up to 50%. I generally feel like if I have sold the piece myself, then that's, thank goodness, some money that I can put towards having my website, editing the photos, all of the real true work that goes into being able to sell the quilt on my own. Uh, But if I'm at an exhibition with a gallery, I feel like they are very much earning that as well with all the work they've done to put their reputation together and set up the show and, mm-hmm. and all of those details. So working with then a model that the pricing is based on the wholesale price of what it took to make it and all of the materials and supplies, 
I, I look at the time that it takes and also uh, recently had a great experience of noticing that I've gotten faster. And I've always in my mind thought, well, that's how I get a raise is if I become a little more efficient or a little more savvy about how I'm making a quilt. But when I first began and I was living in Chicago in 2014, I had no idea where to begin with pricing and figuring things out. So I used an activity tracker app on my phone and I religiously pressed start and stop every time I sat down to sew. Mm -hmm. And I found that a five foot by five foot quilt that was machine pieced and hand quilted took around 50 hours, sometimes 60. And it was a kind of, I'm trying to think, I think it was around 30 hours to quilt it and 20 hours to piece the quilt by machine. Okay. So that's how I worked out how I was initially pricing things is I was thinking if my dream is to not be making so much less money than I made when I was a high school art teacher, which was my previous career, then I want to make about $40,000 a year, or at least price the arts so that I could conceivably one day be making $40,000 a year. (laughs) (laughs) And so for me, that meant $25 an hour for the wholesale price. And I, I went through then and I had a wonderful conversation with, uh, a friend here in Milwaukee, his name is Shane McAdams, and he's a gallery owner. And just this past weekend, I had an exhibition in his gallery space. But years ago, when I was talking to him, he was relating to me about painting and quilting, and he's a painter. And so how does he approach pricing? And it was very much about the size of the work and what series it's part of and not how many hours it took to make that unique specific piece Mm -hmm. of work. And that that's a signal to the art, art people, the muckety mucks (laughs) that it (laughs) is craft versus fine art. A craftsperson will often count every single hour and a fine artist will say, yeah, but I had a dream and that influenced things or all of the practice and timing that it took to be able to make this minimal thing. Mm -hmm. So I ultimately moved from $25 an hour to so far, those pieces that were $25 an hour were $3,000 quilts. And now as I've started to do more hand piecing and more embroidery and elaborate things that took a lot more time, I would look at that scale and say, well, okay, if that quilt machine pieced took is $3,000, then this one must be $6,000 or that one must be $9,000. Or as things get smaller, thinking about, well, what do I want to make in a day? If it's that $25 an hour model, then I want to be able to make $200. uh, Or what was it? I forget. Yeah. $200 in a day is eight hour a day. (laughs) It's basic math. (laughs) So (laughs) when I was pricing smaller pieces, like my framed quilts that are six inches by six inches that I did start selling on my website last November And it was just an explosion of excitement to be able to have it be less confusing to buy a work from me where I was following the art world model and saying, 
send me an email to inquire about a piece and then I will share with you about the pricing and it's this whole complicated back and forth. Now there's just a shopping cart. And if you want to buy something, you can just buy it. So those pieces are $250. And that is, I initially made a lot of them for an art gallery show. So again, I had to be prepared to just make $125 on that piece but I figured it's six inch piece. It doesn't take me the whole work day, eight hours to make. And I, I didn't want, I wanted it to be an accessible price point. So now as I make them, I think about how does this range in a day? What, if I was able to get some other things done that day, as well as finish that piece, then it's appropriate to keep making them and having them cost $250 total. Right, um, right. So, you know, it's yeah. not as much how much time does it take, but how does it slot into that series? But ultimately, the answer is like between three and six hours would be the time for a six inch mm -hmm. work of art that costs $250. And then as things stack up, for example, this quilt behind me is a $3,000 quilt. It's not a five foot machine pieced quilt, but it's layered and has a lot of composition decisions. A piece like this, I have to spend a lot more time doing that artist shuffle of looking up close and stepping back and nudging and playing with composition. And so in the that time arc, it felt like, mm -hmm. okay, something this yeah. size with this method then is in that $3,000 price. So it's almost like a hybrid that you've got there, mm -hmm. which I think is good. Yeah. Uh, because I, it could take a painting artist 15 minutes to create a piece of work. Um, but uh, to get to that point, mm -hmm. they had to yeah. do a lot. Yeah. And um, I have actually commissioned um, fine art for design clients and the artist would charge uh, per square inch. Mm, of the yes, I've heard of that. <laughs> and that got really up there. <laughs> but, you know, she was a very experienced artist and, um, and, and her work was, um, uh, she had her work in, uh, galleries in California and all over. So she can do that. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, I don't begrudge her that at all. In fact, I think it's good. Yeah. And it's good for people to value someone's work and mm -hmm. art. And, and um, you know, because I, I just, I, I'm very passionate about that too, about anybody that is spending time doing something um you want to, you know, pay them what they're mm -hmm. worth. I want to be paid what I'm worth. And so it's good that you're doing this and that, again, you're sharing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes people need to see. You have to prove it to them because mm -hmm. they're not in this world. And um, they they think that... Um, I, I, I am going to say this, but mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a doctor, don't like, you know, come after me. But I've had doctor clients and they feel that what we do is nothing compared. I mean, they're saving lives. Mm -hmm. They've gone through all this education. Um, so 
they they're like, what? This shouldn't be that much. Mm. And you're like, do you know how much time it takes to do this mm-hmm. and that? And you know what I mean? Yeah. So they don't know. And yeah. sometimes they have to be educated. And sometimes when they are, then they get the light bulb and then they get mm-hmm. it. But you know, sometimes they don't. So, And if that's the case, they're not your client. <laughs> no, absolutely right. I mean, honestly, yeah. I think that's a great analogy. Yeah. I, I think quilting saves lives also. Yeah. Wholeheartedly. Yeah. When I found quilting, I... it. 2012, 13, that was a terrible time in my life. I was very depressed. It's the first time I saw a therapist. And that's when I made my first quilt was September 2013. And it just truly saved me that meditative, reflective process, the fact that it takes so much time and you don't have to every three hours think of something new to do because you're making a 50 hour quilt. It gave me (laughs) so much purpose and rhythm. And I know that it's just an incredibly meaningful thing to be able to share with other people, Mm -hmm. but it does, it's hard for people to figure out what does it cost and where does it land? And I often think that things that are historically made by women are also hard to value because mm-hmm. women have historically done so much labor and work for free. Mm-hmm. And what is it worth to go to someone's house for dinner? Is that mm-hmm. the same value as going to a restaurant or is it more value than going to a restaurant or mm-hmm. mending clothing, starting to unpack what that costs and, <laughs> and how it moves back and forth on the price scale. And certainly childcare is a huge expense and is Mm -hmm. starting to be costing more than it used to because maybe we're taking things like that for granted a little bit less, but Mm -hmm. um, I didn't, I didn't fully get to, (laughs) I forgot to finish my story about pricing. And I recently for the art gallery exhibition that I had this weekend, I filmed myself quilting a whole quilt. So I, I had, done applique and lots and lots of embroidery on this quilt. And when I began quilting it, I started filming every step in the process very carefully. And then I also filmed binding it and signing my name and that part of the process. And it was a, a relatively simple quilt because as the quilting gets more complicated, it takes more and more time. But this was a straight line quilt, just horizontal lines going across the quilt. So pretty fair comparison to when I had been timing myself back in 2013. And it was taking 30 hours to do the quilting. Mm -hmm. So including the binding and everything, this took 18 hours. And I was so blown away that I think the binding and signing my name took about three hours. So I have cut the time that it used to take me to quilt a quilt in half, it's now 15 hours. And so I love that maybe that's like, maybe now I get $50 an hour to make. Right. (laughs) And and Uh that I didn't have to think through every moment when I gave myself a raise that it just happened. I also have found that for me, it can be very hard to figure out a price And, and is, you know, is it $20 more or less? Or just how do you figure out these very nuanced numbers that sometimes folks have? And for me, it's really nice to just say, okay, well, this is a $6,000 quilt and it's like the other ones that are that price. And, or this, you know, 
that to be able to have them slot in saves me a lot more time. And certainly when I had that conversation with Shane about painting, he shared with me that, yeah, you know, sometimes he eats it and sometimes it's a windfall and that it all kind of averages out in the end. And for me, when I'm thinking about parting with work, it has so much value to me in being mine. Because I teach, I want to be able to have quilts to have a trunk show. Because I exhibit, I want to have enough quilts at the ready that I could have an exhibition of 15 quilts on the wall and that it would be exciting for people to attend and see. So I'm not in any hurry to have my um, inventory <laughs> down to zero. Uh, it's, it's just, it's wonderful for me to get to spend time with them for longer. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of in that long game looking for a good home for someone who mm. will care about it and not have it yeah. in front of a big window with the sun beating down on it all day. <laughs> oh, gosh, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then in 10 years, it will be a shadow <laughs> of its former self. I want someone who, oh, who will yeah. give it that kind of care and appreciation. Yeah. Yeah, that that is important yeah. for sure. Um, good. So, um, oh, you let's skip around here because <laughs> we were we kind of got onto the topic a little bit, but um, signing your name mm-hmm. and uh, quilt labels. So, um, you know, I've been hand embroidering my quilt labels since my my first commissioned quilt was in 2015, and that's when I did my first hand embroidered Mm -hmm. label um, for her. It was a wedding gift for her daughter. And since then she made such a big deal about it. And I was like, this is very special. And um, you know, the people who will love it and appreciate it, they're going to get it. If they don't, then they're going to get a different kind of label. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I, I like the, that that's coming back because um a lot of quilters just they, they don't want to do quilt labels and I feel like it's so important even if it is just to provide warmth for um, you know a grandchild or, or or someone going to college it's still your work and you don't know 100 years from now if that quilt's going to be picked up by um, you know someone co- a collector and then make its way into a museum for whatever reason i mean you know yes you don't know never know <laughs> we have no idea <laughs> yeah 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 so um but you you do this and i think it's great and i think you actually taught a class on it at quilcon right or you are so i Did you? launched my first set of classes with creative bug and i oh, taught yes. the label quilt label class on Creative Bug. So that's how you Yay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm going to watch it because I have Creative Bug. I know. I know. I'm a big Joanne ah. Fabrics shopper. So I've known about Creative Bug for forever because they're Me too. on the receipt. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Like my favorite leggings that I wear, I sewed those for myself based on with with help from the class on leggings from Cal Patch on Creative Bugs. So there are a lot of a lot of things that I've enjoyed learning on there. And it was really fun. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's one that's one I've stuck with for a long time. I'm, you know, on and off of Craftsy. But um Creative Bug just um it, it they're always um putting up new content every month and in I in all different types of handwork and um I really enjoy the instructors. I made the um 
<laughs> I made the uh, what do you call the um, oh it's a cat it's a cat stuffed animal I oh lucky juju cat oh how cute yeah. oh. <laughs> and I I that was the birthday gifts for all of my nieces this year because they're at that age you know they're still little mm. and they love it oh so cute but yeah so creative bug is I mean not a sponsor of mine but I I do like them yeah they. Um, I taught the label class and I also taught a daily practice class. And that's one of the things that I love about creative bug as well as that they've incorporated these daily practice sessions Mm -hmm. or things just about sparking your creativity rather than here's how you do a specific project, but here's a daily practice on how you start brainstorming. So it was very fun for me to do a 30 day story quilt class with them and it had embroidery and applique and it was just the quilt top not the quilting part Mm -hmm. but it was so much fun to share with them and for me that's a big part of why a quilt label matters as well as I've been especially since we talked last really digging into this idea of story and storytelling and diary Mm -hmm. and memoir and 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 shared history and when I think about the quilt that I got when I was a baby, my grandmother organized a collaborative quilt. And a lot of the people in my mom's life made a quilt block. And then my grandma sewed them together to make this 16 block quilt that was always at the foot of my bed. It wasn't big enough to be a full bed quilt, but it was the extra layer in the winter so that I could be warm. Mm -hmm. And when I started to learn how to read It was this revelation that this thing that had been sitting around all the time just for warmth, that I could look at it and say, oh, that is a Trapunto moose because it was made by my Aunt Becky Mooseburger and she put her initials BM on the quilt block. So I can unpack that or... I love bunnies. It's like, those are my animal. And little did my aunt Lori know how much I would love bunnies, <laughs> but she made a, a cross stitch bunny and it said, welcome to life, little one. And then had a dash and Lori, and she didn't add her initials or her last name, but there's only one Lori in my life. So I suddenly could go to aunt Lori and say, oh my gosh, you don't know how much this block on the quilt means to me. And it's Mm -hmm. that you kind of formative age when you're like second, third grade, understanding, reading and storytelling and that Mm -hmm. it mattered so much to me suddenly what was on the quilt. And I had access to learning it myself and having that moment of discovery rather than my mom, like taking up the initiative out of the blue with her 10 year old (laughs) to say, hey, remember who made this for you? Um, it was labeled, it was written on the quilt and it was easy for me to understand who made it for me. And this really empowering moment of being able to figure out and be like a detective and know how the things in my bedroom came to be in my bedroom. So I think especially those moments of domestic quilts and like regular everyday quilts, adding text and writing adds to the storytelling and adds to that feeling of love. Uh, I also think just that, that embrace of my extended family when I was in elementary school, um, you know, my, I shared a lot in my 
um, quilting as therapy lecture that I do sometimes about that quilt. And Mm. when I was young, my dad was an alcoholic and we had not the best house to grow up in as a kid. Um, Some ways, some parts of it were great. And then other parts were really not great. And Mm -hmm. there were a lot of moments where I was reminded of the support of my extended family of Aunt Becky and Aunt Lori and Grandma Mimi and these other people who cared about me where quilts can save lives and they can really Mm. change lives and make people remember that they are loved and that that's such a powerful thing. And that adding a little bit of hand-sewn label or a little message on the front, like welcome to life, little one, that, that that's incredibly powerful and helpful for people. Absolutely. That is just amazing. I just, just to think about it, uh, it, it's so great that they did that mm-hmm. and that you you're so lucky I know. <laughs> you had an yeah. extended family mm-hmm. that c- was able to collaborate with a quilt yeah that's uh, just uh, it's astonishing and it's amazing and i love it and uh, and that's true i mean that's why i i really you know talk about labeling your quilt a lot because it's really you know something that I'm passionate about. Even when I made the Lucky Juju cat dolls, yeah. I embroidered I embroidered my niece's name on the front, at, right where the heart's at, and oh. did a little heart. Yes. And then on, on the back, on the butt, <laughs> <laughs> I, signed, I signed my initials with the year mm-hmm. that I made it. Yeah. Because it's important, you know? And mm-hmm. my sisters loved it. They loved those. And... Um, and it, they are the ones that said these are heirlooms, mm-hmm. and it just made my heart sing. Because yeah. at first I was just making it because they're you know it's something easy for them to hold on to mm-hmm. and they can play with it every day. But yeah, they are heirlooms. Yeah, already. Um, <laughs> and you know that's that's certainly a story of my baby quilt is me being on the receiving end of a label. I think mm-hmm. a really beautiful full circle story of me being on the giving side of a label is that my dad, when I was in junior high, got sober when my parents split up, but there's still a lot of hurt feelings. And around when I made my first quilt is when we put a lot of effort into healing our relationship. When I realized <laughs> I was grown up enough to realize that he had been trying to fix things and be good to me mm-hmm. for a long time and maybe didn't have all the tools but I was, you know, I, I was able to, we were able to work together and just have tremendous healing that started mm-hmm. during that time. And so I, I think maybe the third or fourth quilt that I ever made was a gift to my dad. And I put a label on it and said, you know, to dad, love Heidi, 20, tw- it was winter 2013. So 2013. And then five years later in 2018, my dad passed away and Mm. I became the owner of that quilt again. And it had the label on it. And I, you know, I, I felt so lucky that I could miss my dad so much because there were other moments in life where I wasn't as close with him Mm -hmm. and his ability to transform over life, to break a cycle and because things like that are passed down. And he's just an incredible change maker and cycle breaker in our family and someone who was able to become a completely different person throughout the time that I knew him. Mm. 
and and you have these moments of like but did he know how much i loved him like did i say it right did i and and to see the proof of that in embroidery on a quilt that i made for him gave me so much peace of mind that even though it yeah. was this fleeting 5 years that were so good between the two of us mm-hmm. that like yeah i had i did let him know and mm-hmm. and a label can do that and give so much peace of mind that you know you let those little ones know that you loved them by putting their name over the heart. And right. And sometimes we can really second guess ourselves of, did I express the love that I wanted to express? And that little mm-hmm. bit of physical proof in a label goes a long, long way. Oh, wow. It's very powerful. Wow. And it's, it's, it's interesting to hear it from your end of the re- being uh, on the receiving end of it as a child. So, um, yeah, that's um that's really good to good to know and good to hear. Yeah. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um all right. Uh let's talk about um you wait, okay, hand yoga. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about this because um you, with doing so much work with your hands and your fingers, um it's easy to um overuse them and then create problems. And like, I've gotten tendonitis. um, And uh, so I, um, you actually did a a webinar for the Craft Industry Alliance. And I attended that. And then as soon as it was over, I was like, give me the (laughs) (laughs) So I'm holding up um, this little carved piece of wood that has all these. Ah, (laughs) We just got to plan that. I just always have. No. (laughs) Yeah. The um, different textures Mm. in the wood. The top half has a different um, texture than the bottom half. And then the middle little part is smooth. But um, when Heidi taught this class and she could talk about it, but you didn't need to have the marmostick even though I had to have it. Uh, You could use any household item like a pen or pencil. Um, So talk about like hand, taking care of your hands and um, just um, you have a YouTube channel called Hand Yoga Club, which Mm -hmm. is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that's a big part of why my sewing speed has increased (laughs) over the last um, eight years or so as well as just my hands feel better. And part of it is figuring out the right tools. Like there's a a rubber gripper that I like to use that goes on my Mm -hmm. index finger and it helps me pull the needle through. You know, we think all about the pushing thimble and not so much about, well, how do you get it to the other side with a gripping or a pulling thimble? So Uh, having the right tools is helpful because I used to have my fingers would be so raw that then I would put band-aids on them. And then finally I was on vacation in 2015 in Seoul and South Korea shopping and saw, of course, a a gripping, pulling thimble. What a wonderful idea. But I had been wearing a metal thimble during that time as well for pushing And that was squeezing just a little too hard on the interior side of my thimble finger. I use my ring finger for that. And around, I want to say 2017, 
it got to the point that if I would accidentally hit my hand against something like not hard, but emptying the dishwasher was kind of a frequent moment. I would feel this incredible pain shooting all the way up my arm to my shoulder. And I didn't know quite what to do about it. I realized I better find a new thimble. And I went shopping at QuiltCon in Pasadena. So I think that was QuiltCon 17, 2017. Mm-hmm. And I found a new thimble that has a silicon edge. I love the clover protect and grip. And oh, me too. I, that protect part is really, really true. It's a soft edge. So I stopped causing damage, but that alone was not enough to feel better. I had to go six months later to an occupational therapist. And Jen was really, really, truly able to help me with my hand. And when I was in for that shooting pain up the arm, I was able to say, well, actually, sometimes I also get some pain in the core of my elbow. And I also sometimes get this little stickiness on my left hand. And I also, you know, I had this whole (laughs) list of also's that weren't at the pain point from the thimble, but they were things that were starting to grow that clearly are not sustainable if this is my occupation as a quilter. And I learned a lot from her. And I was also already a yoga therapist. I am certified in vinyasa flow yoga. And then I have an additional certification in yoga therapy. So I know a lot about making movements appealing and thinking about marma points, which is like an acupressure point and ways to balance the body. And I was able to take some of the things that felt like a job in occupational therapy, and I was able to make them feel a little more beautiful or appealing. And I was also just able to think about, you know, how might I incorporate this into my regular day? How can I make it a habit? Yeah. And I forgot to mention that um, this Marma stick, uh, the point of it is to roll it between your hands and there's stuff you can do with your fingers. So it's like just like a little um, exercise tool or therapy tool. (laughs) And this tool is from my teacher, Indu Aurora. She um, taught me yoga therapy. So I learned a lot of that hand massage and why a hand massage would benefit your whole body, not just your hands from her. But in the hand yoga club, I'm very eager to share information about hand care and different things that you can do for circulation, because all the Mm -hmm. squeezing and pushing that you can see that the blood is not flowing naturally in my hand when I'm squeezing and pressing that way. So what do you do to reactivate the circulation if you habitually do things that constrict circulation in your fingers, Mm -hmm. as well as increasing warmth in your hands or working on um, knots the same way you might get a pressure point massage and work on a knot in your back. There are certain places in your hand that might hold tightness. For me, it can be around the base of the thumb. Other people, it can be in this webbed space between the index and the thumb. Sometimes it's even the side of my finger over here on my non-dominant hand, there's a lot of gripping, a lot of just holding the quilt steady the whole time. And that gave me what's sometimes called trigger finger, where you can have a stickiness 
to opening and closing your fingers. So how might Mm. you create more flow and lubrication in your hand? And I like that on the yoga channel, I have some, or on the YouTube channel, I have some videos Mm -hmm. that are five minutes and others that are 45 minutes. And there's a big difference between just give me something quick that I can do while my tea is heating up on the, in the tea kettle, because that's all I have time for. And conversely, if you want to sit down and get out a nice, like little bit of olive oil and really go in and relax and refresh and feel rejuvenated like you do after a gentle yoga class, but to be focusing specifically on your hands, that that, uh, set of options, I think is really helpful. I also have my most recent video and it's been a while since I posted it. I've been a little busy with other, with other <laughs> things, but I made a, a hand yoga for when you're on the treadmill video. And yeah. I love that idea that you could be multitasking. There's also a couch potato hand yoga video that is like 22 minutes long to match up with watching a sitcom. So you could be sitting and watching a show and I could be on your computer on silent and you could be doing the moves along with me while watching oh, cool. an episode of something. So I'm, I'm always trying to think of creative ways that you could actually incorporate the hand yoga into your life. Yeah. And I have a, a bad habit of like um, getting, you know, doing it and then forgetting about it until something starts hurting. And then I'm like, Oh, yeah, I'm, you know, because, okay, for instance, I've got this, um, I do a lot of hand embroidery, and I hold the hoop, and because I was gripping the hoop right Mm -hmm. here, this started hurting terribly for a month, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, first of all, I was like, I had to take a break from this project, Mm -hmm. and um, secondly, it was like, pull this out, and really, like... But it's so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's weird because you don't ever think about it, but squeezing anything really, if you do it for an extended mm-hmm. period of time, is uh, not good for your ligaments and tendons and muscles. <laughs> yes. And, you know, the thing that I learned when I was in occupational therapy for myself was that the opposite of that kind of squeezing is not doing nothing. That Doing nothing, having your hands stagnant is a different kind of taxing or exhausting for them. And that what they really long for, if you want to give your hands a treat as the opposite of squeezing, is gentle gliding movements. It's, I think, the most viewed five-minute video on my channel is just this gentle movements video because I'm always encouraging people to do it. It feels counterintuitive. You feel like you should have to stretch your hands really hard or press mm-hmm. or, or rub something into them. And in fact, the most powerful, most nourishing thing that you could do, that's the opposite of squeezing and pushing and tugging and stretching and pulling is a gentle gliding movement. So oh. opening and closing your hands 70% yeah. open to then 70% closed. So you're not moving through the extremes. Uh, you're moving in that gentle zone. Oh, yeah. That's the opposite of I squeezing. The 
It's really you're right because you think you should be feeling something. You should be yeah. feeling some pain, or yeah, you should be pulling your hand with. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing yeah. that. I was pulling my thumb. I'm like it's it's got to be stretched or something. <laughs> And it didn't help at all. It probably made it worse. Oh, wow. In in yoga therapy training or (laughs) occupational therapy, never was I told, stretch it as far as you can. Oh, wow. It's it's so (laughs) counterintuitive to, I think, a lot of American ways of approaching things. I know Mm -hmm. I've learned you got to go hard or go all the way or do a work. You have to feel the pain. Yeah, you got to feel the burn. and. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, doing something gentle and relaxing is the uh-huh. most powerful thing that I know to do for my hands. Wow. There's another five minute sequence that I do where I put my palm to palm and uh-huh. just sway my hands from side to side. Mm-hmm. And then I sway my hands forward and back. And then I twist side to side. And then I spread my fingers wide and closed while still touching themselves, still in that prayer position. And then I stretch wide and return. So just my fingertips are staying together, like I'm around an inflatable ball. And then I do the opposite. I spread my fingers wide while I keep my palms together. And that sequence, there's a poetry to it. It has a beautiful progression and your hands are together the whole mm-hmm. time. And for me, that sequence is like the canary in the coal mine. I don't have to then wait till my hand is aching because I've been doing the same embroidery project for a month. Mm-hmm. It is this little cue that if my hands can feel neutral, like nothing's going on when I'm doing that, mm-hmm. I know I'm in good shape and I'm feeling good. If suddenly, oh, that stretch feels so good. Wow. <laughs> so something is not in the zone that right. I want it to be, but it lets me yeah. know a little bit faster. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's so cool. Wow. All right. Well, I'm going to put links, of course, to everything uh, and the hand yoga will be in there. And you have a second YouTube channel, just Heidi Parks. Well, technically, and... it's all one YouTube channel. So it's a, oh, is it? yeah, it's a oh, playlist okay. called Hand Yoga Club. And oh, then there's all right. other playlists for, for other okay. things on there. All right. So you go to the playlist Hand Yoga. Yeah, but it's just and that's where, where you'll add videos. To backslash Heidi Parks. Heidi Parks. With an E in Parks. Got it. Yes. And um, I didn't know you were doing these videos. Um, So when I was preparing for the show, I watched one of them. Soft bulk is what it's called. And you, ah, it's so cool. You, okay. So it's kind of a collaboration, Mm -hmm. I think, is from what I can gather of watching it. Um, Zach Foster Mm -hmm. and uh, Luke Haynes Mm -hmm. and you, right? It's three of you. And then you'll have a guest on. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's some topic of some sort. So like this particular one, I ugh, I can't remember his name. He's from Colorado. <laughs> um, oh, with and- Elio Hernandez. Yes. Yes. And he's a chiropractor. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Him and I have talked hand care a lot together too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, oh, he probably knows all the ergonomics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he works with jeans and uh, denim, and he he um, he had this beautiful quilt behind him 
made from the waistbands、mm-hmm. of jeans. Lots of jeans, waistbands, but he deconstructed those jeans, and even Luke Haynes was like, "I never had the patience to do that." It's next level. <laughs> he harvests the thread so that he can repurpose the thread from the waistband. Oh wow, wow, yeah, he was pretty amazing, and、um, each of you had something to talk about, which I liked that too,、mm-hmm. uh, and it was. You know, it's a pretty. It was、uh, over an hour long, but it didn't seem like it just because the flow was really nice. You guys do it on Zoom, so we can see everybody.、Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach had a very interesting thing that I have never seen before with the funeral、um, mm-hmm. blanket or quilt. Yeah, the burial.、Uh, I found that burial quilt.、Yeah. Yes, I found that really fascinating. Uh, so, uh, check out Heidi's、uh, YouTube channels, and、um, there's our、um, videos labeled "Soft Bulk," and you'll always see her, Zach Foster, and Luke Haynes.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and Luke Haynes too is just amazing.、Um, his art exhibits, and、uh, at first I didn't understand what he was talking about until he showed a video with the camera. Facing it from the side, yeah. So he has these quilts of of、um, people like Obama, for example. And when you're straight on, it looks a little compressed.、Mm-hmm. But then when you walk towards the、um, side of the quilt and take a look at it, it's completely perfect <laughs> perspective.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's amazing. It's like a magic trick. It is. And it's really cool. Yeah, you know, and those get to the heart of why these conversations are called soft bulk. We want to celebrate the three dimensional qualities of quilts and the things that set quilts apart uniquely as an art object. That there are things that a painting can't do necessarily that a quilt can do. There are sculptural aspects of quilts, and and just digging into those idiosyncrasies and kind of celebrating the fact that if I was making five foot paintings, I couldn't be making them out of my duplex or putting them into my sedan. But because I make five. But quilts, I can toss them in a backpack and then throw them up on a wall, and I can have a show put together in no time without having to rent、wow. a van or use、mm-hmm. any pulleys、yeah. out of the window of my home. <laughs> right. <laughs>、uh, and you know, just that that kind of celebration. So we now have a routine where most of our soft bulk conversations are ninety minutes. And we all try、okay. to talk for about ten minutes each, and then the guest gets a little longer, and then that spurs us into a really organic conversation where the live guests who attend on Zoom put questions into the chat, and they bring up things that maybe we wouldn't think of, or things that perhaps because we're so immersed in it as our jobs that we take for granted and might not realize is oh yeah that could use some explaining. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, it's been a really fun format for me. I always love to do something that connects a little bit with the guest and share how they've influenced me, or highlight something unique that we have in common. And other times, it might just be someone has a show going on and they want to share about that, or Zach has a project that he's up to. He's been doing artist residencies for the last eight months, and. 
there's there's a lot of really good stories to be told around that. Yeah, and he's new to me. I've I've had not heard of him until mm-hmm. I saw your video. Luke Haynes, of course. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I knew I've Luke first <laughs> as well, and then okay, um, and then me and Zach Zach found me on Instagram. And we became friends. And then I invited myself over to his house in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) (laughs) We've we've really been close since then. Oh, yeah. Yeah, It's just it's the three of us because it's a very natural uh, progression. I wanted to become a quilter and I saw Luke Haynes was a quilter and I thought, wow, if he can do it, maybe I can do it. And then. About a year in, I reached out to him and said, hey, could we do a collaboration or could we get to know each other? And he said, sure. And so he was just incredibly generous in letting me become friends with him. And then it was kind of the same way at the time in 2015 or 16 with Zach, where I had a presence with my quilts online and Zach was just getting started sharing about them. We had been quilting Mm -hmm. for a similar amount of time or longer, but he Mm -hmm. was like, hey, what? what's going on? <laughs> and, and so that, that direction is really interesting. And even within the last year and a half, we just filmed episode 18 of Softbulk. When we began, Zach was still a full-time high school Spanish teacher. And now he quit his job about a year ago and he's been self-employed as a quilter, but we've got that nice staggered Zach is freshly self-employed. I've been self-employed since 2014. Luke's been self-employed since longer than that. And it's it's mm. nice to have that arc of experience and the fact that we yeah. just were organically, naturally friends who checked in with each other and thought, wouldn't it be fun to share what we do in private? Oh, it is. It is so fun. And um, it... I I just I don't I've never of course I don't know him personally Luke Haynes but mm-hmm. have you know of course have seen um, him around uh, and you know talked about and interviewed or whatever but um, I I just was always sort of a little intimidated by him because his art is just so um, up there yeah. that um, you know I thought. But but then when I watched your video, he was a totally different person yeah. to me. He was very down to earth. <laughs> yeah, he's always <laughs> showing approachable. or talking about his dog. <laughs> like little honeydew is up to something or another. Uh, yeah. You know, what I thought was really revealing, beautiful episode connected to Luke was when his wife was on. She studied fiber art. Now her work is more around, it, her work is in affirmations. So she does affirmation billboards and postcards and and just tries to share things that can lighten people's moods and improve the day. And now she's collaborating with Luke to make affirmation quilts that they leave for free in random places and whoever gets them gets them. And that element of generosity and just seeing what it was you can tell why they're in love when you see that episode. Oh, it's so beautiful. All right, I have to watch yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys have been doing this for the last year and a half? or Yeah, a for a year and a half. We year and a half, began, okay. Yeah, during the pandemic, we thought everyone's oh, home. Nice. Let's go on Zoom and 
Yeah. Have a good conversation. <laughs> I love it. It, it. And I think it's really, um, it's really good for you to do that because uh, they're all of us, you know, the viewers can really see a side of you that we normally wouldn't ever see uh, and learn. Mm -hmm. I learned so much on that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, I have about 10 professional lectures that I do and I've got the list of that, but beyond that, there's so many topics I'm interested in, but it doesn't make sense to do a whole People would just have decision fatigue if I had right. 25 different <laughs> lecture options for when I go and talk to their guild professionally. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's fun to show the breath beyond the thing that's my bread and butter that I make money on. And mm -hmm. fun to share about clothing or mending once in a while or other mm -hmm. to just zoom in and talk about why is there embroidery in my quilts and what does that look like and how did I get into it? And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it yeah. really does show a much more well-rounded and exciting scope. Yeah. And I'm yeah. glad you guys are still doing it because, mm -hmm. you know, people are kind of back, you know, not so much in a pandemic mm -hmm. phase anymore, but um, that's great that you guys are. And still, it's great to have them as episodes. recordings, too. So maybe we don't mm -hmm. get as giant of a peak number of people attending the Zoom live, but right. people are truly creating habits and excitement around watching the recording. And that's Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's out there and it's going to live on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And, and I think um, people who um, have just found quilting or want to know a little bit more about what you guys do, a lot of what you do is like reclaimed textiles and deconstructing and stuff like that. So that's um, a good source for that, too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's um, talk about uh, what you got going on coming up mm -hmm. and uh, and then we'll just uh, that'll be the end of this show. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to have such a good conversation together. I know. Bye. I know. I'm like, whoa, I got to start wrapping this up because <laughs> we have to do our Patreon. one. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've got my supplies and my camera ready for that. <laughs> Yay, yay. So you've got um, some real, some really good events coming up. So go ahead and share. Okay. So I was supposed to teach in France to a sold out class in June 2020, and it didn't happen. And now I am getting ready to launch a class in France. It's in a different venue, different subject from what I was going to do in 2020. But this one... I'm thrilled about it. It's a 10-day class. We're going to be starting out near Toulouse at Chateau du Mas. And then we're going to all fly together up to Paris and go uh, do some shopping and see Versailles and see the Moulin Rouge. And it's a travel quilt class. So students wow. will be working with me on this idea that I've been growing a lot really since 2019 I traveled to India and I made a travel quilt because I wanted to document how special it was to be on that trip. And now I, I made a travel quilt in Santa Fe and a travel quilt when I was up north teaching with Zach at Madeline Island School of the Arts. Hmm. And it's such a great way to document and also to have something to do with your hands because if you're like me, hmm. you want something to be sewing while you're traveling. 
So in France, we will be doing a travel diary quilt top together. And then the students will also have access to my on-demand hand quilting class. When they get back home, they'll be able to hand quilt it with me online and have that support. Oh, that's so cool. I can see why you're yeah. really excited about that. I that's love pretty Ram. amazing. I'm such a Francophile. Oh, <laughs> I need to get over there. I haven't been yet. I really, really need to. I want to go there and there's places in England I want to go mm-hmm. and Italy and oh my gosh. It's just um yeah, and then the pandemic really Oh. It was kind it of was not good for my lifelong pause. dream of getting to right. teach quilting in France. Oh man. Okay. So yeah. you're doing that this, this coming month in September, right? So it's the classes in 2023. So we are, oh, okay. yeah, we're launching it. We're about to start selling it and reveal oh, all gotcha. the details. Okay. And it's crazy how. Oh, you, I, cause I was going to say, yeah. how did I miss that? Yeah, no, I you really have to plan in advance in this industry. Uh, this okay. episode <laughs> that we did last month was with Lebs, Libs Elliot. And I just shared my to-do Ooh. list with everyone. <laughs> It's <laughs> like this is how far in advance I'm planning things, and um, this is uh, what my day looks like when I'm structuring mm. stuff. So right now we're planning, okay. and Good. it's going to be all ready for people to start signing up on October 1st of 2022, and then we will be flying to France together in 2023 okay. September. So. We are recording this August 30th, but the episode is going to go up sometime between mid-late October, early November. So that'll be perfect timing for people to sign up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then you have something else coming up. Yeah. I'm also going to be launching an online diary quilting class. So similar to the travel quilt, but just a diary of anything you want. It doesn't have to be a diary of a trip. It's going to be a live Zoom class, and we're going to meet four times in January. It will be with a limited class size. So we'll have a max of 40 students, and I'm going to do a Sunday session and a Tuesday session. And the first week, I'm going to have Janelle Hardy as a guest for us. She's an expert in memoir and writing about memoir. In the last year, I have decided to dig deep in understanding why is storytelling so interesting to me? Why is the story quilt such an endearing, you know, just ubiquitous thing to make? Why does it matter? Why does me making a story quilt matter? Why would it be valuable for someone else to do that? So she's going to talk to us a lot about memoir. She also does body-based memoir writing. So she has a lot of wonderful techniques for grounding into your body, for thinking about gravity, for language around even blood. I took a free workshop with her recently, and she was talking about blood brothers and blood, like, I can't even remember them off the top of my head, but all the words connected to blood and how that invokes storytelling and things that might be interesting to use as a a grounding force in a memoir. So the first week of the class, Janelle is going to be guiding us and helping us understand and think about what is a diary quilt? What kind of stories might we want to tell or watch for, or how can we train ourselves to be more observant. 
And then the next three weeks, I will be guiding students in choosing their own story to tell. So we're not going to be making identical diary quilts. They'll have options to make something in real time about 2023. They'll have the option to look back at 2022 or to maybe look at a particular archetypal story that they keep repeating Right. Like sometimes when I'm dating, you can find you're dating the same person over and over again, even though they have a different name and a different body. (laughs) So, so like, why do you tell that same story again and again? Or why are you drawn to the same person? So, maybe over time, we can dig into this diary story that keeps coming up for you. But I'll be sharing different ways of working with diary, different techniques that could be helpful, uh, different metaphors in the stitching, in the materials, in the types of fabric that would add to the diary. So that I'm really thrilled to be able to teach live in January. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hoping to launch an on-demand version of that class in February. Uh, the on-demand classes. I've got a lot of them already. I've got six different classes on the bases that we talked about, on the Mm -hmm. six inch by six inch framed quilts, a hand quilting diary class, a scrap quilt class that I, it's probably the one I'm the most proud of. I love that scrap quilt class. So the diary quilt will be the seventh on-demand class that I'll be launching on there. And you can take that whenever you want and work at your own pace, your own speed. So it's evergreen thing that you can do with me, the same as maybe you're listening to this podcast in 2027, (laughs) well into the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. That's exciting. And I think January is a perfect time Mm -hmm. to have an online um, class uh, because I took one last January and I didn't even realize how much I needed that because you don't realize the holidays just take so much out of they you. They do. You know, and then, um, you know, after the New Year's and I was sick and you know, all this stuff. So I took this um, this online workshop and it was, you know, K-Facet. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, with Quilt Folk. Oh my gosh. It was just amazing. And then I was just like, wow, that is a really good time of the year <laughs> Yes, <laughs> to yeah. host a workshop or a class. So good. Yeah. Good. I find we'll January put- through March, even into April, that's the moment where people want to take quilting classes. And I try to yeah. be ready for that. I think you're right. Aspect yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. So we'll put links mm-hmm. in the show notes. And I'll put links where um, everywhere you can find Heidi Parks. And she's very consistent. Everything is called Heidi Parks, yes. I think. If you can yeah. spell my last name, you can find me. <laughs> Par- Parks with an E. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming back. And um, I mean, it's it's funny because it's almost like having you for the first time because there's just all this new stuff to talk about and um I, I really appreciate you taking the time thank you yeah and it'll be fun <laughs> even if if people listen to the two episodes in reverse order so if they yeah one first then go back and get a lot more that's great. a story yeah. in itself you know the story from 2019 and now we're in 2022 and the, the evolution and growth of your work yeah amazing you know i think it's partly it. the diary aspect of the work and memoir and there's a self-help feeling in the work and that that 
leads to a lot of personal growth and, and things changing really quick. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to leave it right there. Thanks. Oh, that was so much fun. Yay. If you would like a bonus episode every month, become a patron and support the Make and Decorate podcast show at my Patreon page, Make and Decorate. For extended show notes with links and photos to what we've talked about, visit my podcast blog at makeanddecorate.com. And remember to take some time for yourself to be creative. Bye-bye.